the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back Wednesday, May 26th. As we head into our second hour, we do so as we do every Wednesday with one of my servants, and that is the great Congressman David Schweikert, representing the 6th District of Arizona, as well as Common Sense. David, how are you? You know, um, not bad. I, I mean, did you get up and watch the lunar eclipse? No, I, uh, I, I, no, no. You don't want to know my, my, you don't want to know my sleeping and waking habits. They're un, unsafe at any speed. Let me put it that well, way. Well, you know, when you get my age, you already have a problem where you're getting up enough times at night. All right, you can text me. Five- like likelihood is you could have texted me a bit of good friend and said, "Hey, Liebson, go check out the lunar eclipse." But no, you didn't. Five year- yeah, my five-year-old was not thrilled being woken up to go out and see it. She goes, "Well, that's neat," and then went right back. To yeah, sleep. text me next time. I, I likelihood uh, is likelihood is I'm awake. You did a great thing on the floor of the house. My gosh, it was great on the infrastructure bill. I want people to go to your um, your Twitter feed at Rep David and uh, watch it. Uh, are, do you know are, what I'm talking are, about? Are, it's are the graph you did. Yeah, yeah. Ta- tell us about it. Our website. Um, I despise Twitter, so. Um, or Facebook. Or okay, you're right. You're right. Posters. You're right. The only hey. reason I want to say it's on Twitter, uh, and the only reason I did say it, is because once in a while I like to point out good things out of bad service. So, you know. It, well, uh, the fascinating thing is the reaction from liberals yeah. on things like Twitter when you do a presentation with the actual math. Yeah. Yeah. And they lose their mind. Yeah. Um, and and what, while we were doing something very, very simple, we were trying to point out that the great threat to our country is the piling on of debt. And the scale of debt that's coming over the next decade or so is just breathtaking. And the fact that the president, Speaker Pelosi, are not telling the truth when they say, oh, the new infrastructure bill is paid for, when you line up the taxes and the revenue they're projected, and then how many of the taxes are just fake, they're pretend, um, you know, almost half of it has no revenue. Um, it, it just, you know, just trying to point out the, this is the real math, and it's a fraud. So, too, is the language, isn't it, uh, the idea of what constitutes infrastructure? You have this great pie yeah. chart. Tell us about this pie chart of what constitutes infrastructure. Well, well that, and that's actually, um, it's the first time we finally, when we did that in our own office, trying to help fellow members understand, you know, and we were pretty generous. You know, you can get up to like 9% if you want to be super generous of what's infrastructure. It's really more about 7%. Um there's dramatically more money going to unionize businesses and things of that nature than there are for roads and bridges. And um, so it, and there's a really fascinating argument. And this one's not even Republican or Democrat. It's just it, this century. What, do, what will roads look like a, or cars look like a decade from now? Um, will you start to see autonomous vehicles? autonomous buses, I mean, autonomous transportation, 
And almost none of the infrastructure bill really fixates on what the future looks like. It's more of a societal, social, Democrat spending with a little bit of road and bridges and infrastructure so they can call it an infrastructure bill. One of the things you're right to bring up, and I don't know how to exactly ask about it, but you'll know how to answer it. You'll know what I'm getting at. When you listen to Joe Biden talk about infrastructure, you mentioned the word. When you, when you, when you listen to Joe Biden talk about jobs, he does add that word, union jobs. He almost always says it. And I'll tell you, it's a little odd. I, I don't mean it in any, in any truly negative sense. I just haven't heard someone talk like that in like 70 years. Doesn't it well, sound a little tinny to you when he talks like that, well, union jobs? But you got to understand, um, both the generation and the support base that Joe Biden has has always been um, unions, particularly public employee unions. Right. Um, so SEIU, and, teachers, that kind of thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, teachers, particularly right. teachers. Yeah. Yeah. The Democrats actually have a really interesting problem. What we used to refer to as industrial unions. I'm a pipe fitter. I'm right. a carpenter. Right. Right. Um, the union bosses are still left-wing Democrat supporters. But the workers themselves, um, you know, I believe uh, President Trump got most of their votes from many of the yeah, commercial sure. unions. Yeah. And you start to think about what they did to the pipe fitters, right. you know, with canceling the pipeline right. and those things. So some of it's just... Um, tactical saying, look, these unions put hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into the Democrat coffers for their election. And much of this infrastructure bill is a payoff to the organizations, groups, businesses that finance the Democrat Party. David, you do you do you do a good good job of exposing that. And and I and I and I wonder if if Joe Biden, when he talks that way, he's not talking to most Americans. I mean, out, you're right about outside of government union, uh, the private membership has has gone steadily downhill and by hundreds of thousands, has it not? Um, but but, but you're, you're missing the point. And Seth, you know this because you've had to face it. When it comes to the next election, what do the Democrats care about first? Mm-hmm. is the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's going to finance their television ads? Who's going to finance their people they pay to go ballot harvest mm-hmm. and walk door to door and mm-hmm. do all those things? You know, first they have to secure the financing, and then they'll make up stories to try to tell to the voters. Um, Republicans, we have this bad habit of saying, "Are we looking out for the best interests of the worker, the working poor, the you know the people investing in you know what makes the economy grow?" And by growing, it becomes you know, much more prosperous and fair. Um, I truly believe the Democrats are very smart politically. They are laying out saying 2022 should be a rough year for the left. Um, you know, with redistricting, with the being the first off year in a new Democrat president, it should be a Republican year. How do they use the public coffers mm. to finance mm. themselves, their their, their favorite group. So, 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 so you're, you're, invi- you're, you're describing an industrial political complex mm-hmm. that takes your and your tax dollars or my producer's tax dollars, let's say Bill's tax dollars, 
and goes into the federal coffers, which turn around and give subvention to unions who turn around and go out and use the money and uh, that they get to 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 canvas for Democrat. And you're going to tell me I'm I'm not seeing it. You're going to say it's worse than that, aren't you? It's worse than that. (laughs) Sorry, I seem to use that line a lot with you. That's okay. You're my teacher. It's okay. It's actually worse than that. That's my imitation. But you start to look at the number of big businesses that contributed, their executives contributed, the green energy businesses, the environmental groups that it contributed, um, the green engineering companies. Now, many of them may may have wonderful products, but they decided to finance the Democrat Party because the Democrat Party is much more transactional. The tax bill, the infrastructure bill, the stimulus bill, if you lay them out and then look at them purely politically, they're financing their next election through the dollars and the relationship to these groups. And, and what shocks me is not everyone else sees it as obviously as maybe I do. Um, you know, the D.C. press you know, writes about it, but almost no one else does. David, I only have you for one more minute, but I want you to do this if you can because it's so important. There's not too many congressmen like yourself who still carry this fight forward. I'm glad you are. Uh, revisionism over the 2017 tax cuts. You have some nice posts about that. They did give oh, us the yeah. best economy in 60 years, yes? One of the moments I – some of the greatest fun I've ever had is Nancy Pelosi came to the floor to debate me, and her first words were 83 percent of the tax – Bill went to the top, you know, 1%. And I immediately, you know, as soon as you finish, pulled up the Washington Post, a liberal saying, that's an absolute lie. It's an absolute falsehood. But yet the Democrat, once one tells a lie, they're willing to repeat it. Yep. The fact of the matter, 2018, 2019, some of the greatest economy ever for the working poor, the working men and women in this country, and income inequality shrank. There you go. Oh, man, I'd love to uh, have you in for an hour and just do uh, tax policy with me. Would you consider doing that? I'd love to get oh, back to basics I, I on it, that. I think, actually, if we could do it more economic policy. You want to do a general hour on economic policy? I'd love to do it. I'll because set it up. I'll set it up. Growth yeah. is moral. I love we it. We need to get that as part of our lexicon. Growth is moral. We used to know it. We used to know that back when this song was popular. David Schweiker, God bless you, sir. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thank you all. All right, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I um, I was uh, delighted when I saw Ashley Rinsberg had a piece in National Review online this morning. Some of you may recall I interviewed Ashley about a week or two ago, about two weeks ago, on his brand new book, such an important book, The Gray Lady Winked. How the New York Times Misreporting Distortions and Fabrications Radically Alter History. And uh, what Ashley wrote is a fabulous history book. What uh, modern technology from talk radio to social media will allow us to do, at least in part for now, is for him to keep keep the uh, topic current because this is not actually – the thesis isn't a history thesis. Uh, the thesis is ongoing. Um, wouldn't uh, wouldn't you say that's right, Ashley? Everything you learned in your book, The Gray Lady Winked, is taking place in real time before our eyes as well, is it not, sir? 
Yeah, that's exactly the case, Seth. I mean, we're seeing the patterns are still there and they're still reemerging day by day and in, on very big issues on things like um, media suppression of the lab leak theory of, of COVID-19 and the media's blatant support for a terror organization, a fascistic terror organization um, in Gaza. So these are things that are just coming back. And, and that's actually why I wrote the book is because we have to understand the roots of these legacy organizations, including media organizations, but not only media, um, in order to understand what they're doing today and how, they, how they're wielding their power and control over our lives. I want to do a little bit of uh, everything you just said, but let's start with, uh, if I may, the one that I think most people can get an easy grasp on, uh, Ashley, that uh, you're talking about when it comes to uh, the origin theory. Is that the phrase of art here, the origin theory of the COVID virus? Mm -hmm. So, for example, am I using that phrase right, the origin theory? Is that what we call this topic? Yeah, I've heard heard people say lab leak. Okay, um, the lab leak or origins theory. Yeah, how the hell did this virus get here is the question. (laughs) I guess that's the other way to call it. (laughs) That's the other way people (laughs) would just label it. So when, when uh, when Donald Trump or Senator Tom Cotton about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, were speaking about it coming out of the virology lab in Wuhan. The New York Times had this kind of headline. I'm reading directly. Senator Tom Cotton repeats fringe theory of coronavirus origins. Now, if I may fast forward to the month of May this year, here's the headline on the same topic. Group of scientists calls for further inquiry into origins of the coronavirus. What, Ashley Rinsberg, explain to me, does the Times not read their own material or do they and they don't care? You know, I think for them, they they see the narrative evolving and, you know, I think they they don't see what we see, which is that they have changed their position as the political winds have blown differently. And also, you know, there might be other forces at work, namely the Times' investment in China, which it sees as a major market. Um, for its its future as a, not just a newspaper as a multi billion dollar business, and those these are the kinds of considerations and the questions that we need to ask. And I, in my opinion, the body that should be asking is Congress because Congress has the resources and the experience to be able to dive into how authoritarian governments and terror organizations like Hamas are affecting the global news media. It's something we all need to know. And that's why I'm calling on Congress to do it. Yeah, well, I think that's right. And I was thinking the theories uh, under which uh, you're you're calling for congressional inquiries into this. You know, we've all sat uh, for the past uh, really two, three years now watching various hearings on social media. Why is establishment media exempt from this? And what is the theory upon which we hold hearings here, Ashley Rinsberg? Is it that along the lines of a fraud upon the public, like uh, the quiz show scandals in the 60s? Or what do you think the theory is here? Same as with social media, it's... it's, uh, it's yes. Go yes. ahead, it's go the ahead. Same, it's the same... You know, what, what social media, what big tech was accused of is weaponizing information, polarizing audiences for profit. That, that's the big problem, um, or part of the problem, please. The media is doing the same exact thing. When they put out inflammatory stories, when they, when they create false narratives, when they report in manners that are, in a manner that is, that is not honest and transparent, what they are doing 
is feeding their audience. They're feeding the 2% of their readers who actually pay them money as subscribers, okay. and they're feeding them what they want. And by doing so, they're polarizing the conversation. You know, that's one part of it. But another part is that just like tech was accused of, they're also being influenced by, by outside actors, by foreign governments like China, by Russia, by intimidation, by abuse, by economic influence, a whole range of factors that we have to understand. And, you know, this is a deep and thoroughgoing issue. And the reason we all need to care is because we need a free press in this country and the world. We All over the world, I'm in Israel, you're in the U.S., we depend on a free press that's truly free, not just true, not free in name, where they're kind of paying lip service to the notion, but really free from influence and really open about what influences they do have. This is an important point. We're talking with Ashley Rinsberg, journalist and author of brand new, brand spanking new book, great book. Uh, I bought it immediately when I first heard his uh, when I heard his very first interview. The Gray Lady winked: How the New York Times misreporting, distortions, and fabrications radically alter history. Ashley, you're making an important point here. Let me see if I can be. Um, as smart about it as you are, the it's not freedom of press. It's not a free press, uh, and it's not uh, information. Frankly, if it's um, endowed propaganda from authoritarian regimes who are using them, or institutions who are using them as propaganda mouthpieces, or have bought them, uh, that is not a free press. And yet, at the same ironic point. Should we engage in these hearings, which I hope we do, I'm with you on this. I'll do what I can to help you on this project, Ashley. Um, should we have hearings, the press will say, ah, you're in- infringing on the freedom of the press. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is always a concern. And you do want to be careful about not having government impose itself because, you know, I don't think we need more government interfer- interference in things like the press. We need less. But what we do need is the government using its resources to ask the questions and to provide real clear evidence as to what's actually going on, which is not to say that Congress needs to start taking any sort of legislative action or regulatory action. We just need information. We need clarity about how foreign governments and foreign entities like Hamas are using their considerable power, whether that's economic or whether it's the power of of violence of, of their militias, to influence our media and and their own media and to understand how the current situation is breeding false narratives and what we now know is a plague of of fake news on both sides of the aisle. We need to actually stand up and start not regulating these things, but understanding the sources and the roots and the causes so that we can find a way to create um, a, a new path for journalism, a new path for the media um, that's more, that's more balanced, that's more open and that's, more um, accurate, right? And, and and with you on that, and and it's not as if the press, the New York Times, uh, reports something. Perhaps it's based on an anonymous source or a leak. Uh, it could have national security implications or not. But it's not as if what the New York Times publishes in those kinds of uh, in those kinds of exposés of administrations, typically usually one party, not the other. But when it does. It's not as if it's without effect. I mean, these what the New York Times does can lead to shifting elections and impeachments. Can we pick up on that on the other side of this break, Ashley Rinsberg? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Ashley Rinsberg. He is the author of the brand new, just most recently published, The Gray Lady Winked, How the New York Times Misreporting Distortions and Fabrications Radically 
Alter History. Ashley uh, Rinsberg is the author of The Gray Lady Winked, How the New York Times Misreporting Distortions and Fabrications Radically Alter History. Uh, we were just going into the break. His most uh, recent uh, column, which discusses uh, some of the findings in his book and brings them to our current age and how the New York Times is dealing with the virology story, uh, the, uh, the origin of COVID story, how it's dealing with the Middle East. Uh, the New York Times has not changed. Ashley is just bringing uh, what they've always done throughout history, which is covering for authoritarians and being used as propaganda pieces to our modern moment and is suggesting we have uh, arguing for congressional hearings. Uh, Ashley, it's not as if, as I was saying right before the break, when the New York Times prints a major expose or puts a lot of resources into something, let's just say, it's not as if it's a butterfly in the Brazilian rainforest uh, flapping its wings. There are pretty quick and usually dramatic results. I give you the 1619 Project. Who knew the New York Times could have a concept and now it's nearly standard curricula in our nation's classrooms? Who knew that what they could write could prompt calls for impeachment? I mean, again and again and again, and maybe cessations of, if not instigations of war, right? I mean, what they do matters. Yes, absolutely. They they set the American news agenda. They set the tone for the political conversation. They influence policy. Um, you know, and they they along with a handful of other powerful media organizations, they have this disproportionate effect. And they have a tremendous amount of responsibility, which they don't always respect and they don't always live up to their own standards. And the sixteen nineteen project is a great point. They're the reporting in that magazine issue was was false it was wrong they were they were reporting things that they had been told were wrong by their own experts and you know that's another pattern that i've seen at the new york times which is that the pattern of knowing this was wrong and yet continuing to report in that manner anyway because it served their interests and that's the thing we really need to look out for is how interests are being served at the expense of the truth. And let's not, shall we, um, if you agree with me, uh, 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 Ashley, let's not, shall we, pretend that it's all just innocent, um, uh, e- easily uh, easily uh, whitewashed young journalists who don't know the difference. Uh, this yeah. has been a long story with the New York Times, as you put in your book and as you put in your National Review column, going back uh, even to the 1940s, where the New York Times through Otto – what's his name? Otto something Otto? Who was the Berlin New York Times? Yeah. Where, right. Where he was a Nazi sympathizer doing Hitler's bidding and propaganda. Yes, this this what they're doing with Hamas now is not much different from what they were doing with Hitler then. I'm sorry it's strong to say, but that's how I read it. Well, in, in one sense, that's certainly true, which is that they are they are effectively passing along propaganda from basically fascist organizations. I mean, of course, the, the Nazis were the, the definition of fascism. And the New York Times were, was printing reports that were reflective of, of the Nazis' own propaganda. And the same is very much true for what we're seeing with regard to Hamas. Hamas has a certain kind of storyline that it wants to use and portray to the world about its own violence and its decision to basically subjugate the Palestinian people of Gaza and also to rain rockets down on civilian populations in Israel and cast themselves as the victims. 
And the New York Times has really run with that. And again, they're, they're carrying water for a anti-democratic force, in this case, Hamas. Um, and so these are the types of things that we're seeing over and over. And, and the truth of the matter is, it's never a green reporter. It's never some young, innocent, as you said, Seth. It's never even someone with, you know, bad intentions. You pulling off one of these false media narratives, creating a, something that is that powerful, takes a lot of coordination, a lot of resource, and a lot of thought to, to really understand how they can instill or impose this notion of the truth that is really not true on millions of people. It, it takes work, and it is definitely not the product of innocence and naivete. You know, um, yes, and they have these resources. Uh, can I keep you one more segment, or do you have to run? You've been generous with your time, Ashley, and I know it's late in Israel. No, I'm here. I'm, You're I'm, good? I'm, I'm Seth Liebson. Yeah. He's Ashley Rinsberg. His book, The Gray Lady Winked, how the New York Times misreporting distortions and fabrications radically alter history. Uh, the moment I heard him interviewed, uh, by the end of the interview, it was actually on Prager's show. I bought the book, devoured it, reached out to him, and uh, I'm so glad we have him here. He's calling for a congressional inquiry into the New York Times. Good for Ashley. We'll be right back with some more. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. Put in a word for our friends at uh, Trades Unlimited, if I might. Uh, all your roofing needs, this is the company to call. Trades Unlimited, founded in 1994 in its 26th year. They have an A-plus rating at the Better Business Bureau. I've met with them, and I can understand why. Just impressive people with a great work ethic. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. And right now, they want you to know that foam roofs are great for insulating from the extreme Arizona heat, insulating from exterior noise, and protecting from water leaks. Now is the perfect time for foam recoats as well. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. We're talking with, um, I'd like to say my friend, uh, I hope uh, we get to meet someday, Ashley Rinsberg. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Ashley Rinsberg, his new book, The Gray Lady Winked, How the New York Times Misreporting Distortions and Fabrications radically alter history. His piece in the uh, National Review today is uh, talking about how uh, the gray lady has not uh, changed her colors uh, or her behavior and is uh, deserving of meriting of a congressional inquiry into just what's going on and what is it that we are getting from places that present uh, to us that they are uh, just the news, simply the news that's fit to print. Actually, when they want to do something, they can do it like no one else. 1619 is a good example. When they decide to do a series, um, they can do it like no one else. Uh, bringing it contemporary, they have one heck of a big glossy feature going on right now titled They Were Only Children. Are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. this yes. Is- this is, yeah, this is the children's casual, the casualties of children in the Israeli uh, Gaza uh, uh, conflict. And the most interesting things to me, I mean, this is an example of what they can do when they want to make something big and fancy and, and, and land. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Beautiful pictures uh, of a uh, sad, uh, lacrimose situation of a lot of these children aged teen and lower who have been killed. But, you know, the first one they go into about, uh, you know, it's weird. It's about 20 paragraphs in, Ashley. I get this sentence. 
In the Arab village of Damash in central Israel, when the sirens railed around 3 a.m. on May 12th, Nadine Awad, 16, and her father ran outside for cover, said her uncle, Ismaili Arafat. A rocket, however, fired by militants in Gaza, slammed into the ground next to their home, killing both of them. These are casualties of Hamas. Who would know that? Mm-hmm. That's right. And, you know, that's, that's exactly, well, that's one of the problems with that, that piece, which is that it, it robs by focusing on the most emotional, polarizing aspect of this whole thing. It robs it all of context. But the most important aspect of, of the journalism is to provide context for what's happening. And in this case, it doesn't. It doesn't show that this was a, this was a response to Hamas raining 4,000 rockets on Israeli population centers. It only shows the most grotesque and horrific aspect of it. And they, do, they have done this for Israel, and they have not done it for major conflicts around the world that we see unfolding every single day or every week, for sure. So you would have to ask why. Why, why did they make a decision to do this piece? And then, you know, another thing that crossed my mind when I saw it was what happened to the 1.5 million children who were killed in the Holocaust, which the New York Times obscured and buried and covered up to their best extent as it, as it was unfolding. There was never redressed. Those, those children's names and their images were never printed in the New York Times. So, again, we ask, why did they choose this conflict? Why did they choose now? Why did they choose to do it in this way at a time where there's so much passion sur- surrounding this issue on social media and even on the street? Why flame? Why fan the flames? Why incite further? Is my question. And, and again, I come back to congressional inquiries. We see influence being exerted, and we see the effects of it. It's so damaging, and we really need to understand the issue better. Well, the New York Times will likely be. Maybe it was once a time, once upon a time, CNN. Now I think it, it may be the New York Times, Ashley, that will be. Um, the the greatest um, uh, uh, witness and aid to the left in America pushing on our foreign policy and um, trying to exercise Americans to radically alter our foreign policy. I think the New York Times will write the you know will, will become the evidence uh, and witness that they use for this. Which again, here we are talking about changing policy again. This is something the New York Times has a vested interest in. If they didn't, they wouldn't have an editorial page, but neither would they have saved, for example, as you learn about in your book, Castro, right? This is what they do. They can, they, they can make and they can destroy, can't they? Yeah, very much so. I mean, and, and that is what happens. They're, they're making choices. They're, they're, uh, they are exerting their own influence in one way or another. And we, historically, we've seen what happens in, in terms of Cuba, where they kind of resurrected Fidel Castro, who was a struggling rebel, all but defeated, all but ignored by the Batista regime. Their reporter breathing their life into the, into the revolution to the point that Castro later thanked the publisher of the New York Times on three separate occasions over the course of decades for the role they played in bringing about his revolution, for what they did for him. We saw it with the um, Soviet Union in the early days of the Soviet Union with the cover-up of the Ukraine famine which has now been sort of laid at the feet of a single reporter, Walter Durante. But in reality, it was the work of the institution of the New York Times, of the owners and the managers who instructed him to cover up the Ukraine famine in order for Stalin not to look bad at a very important point for the Soviet Union and an American recognition of the new government in Russia at the time. So, yes, they, there is definite an, an exertion of influence 
from their point, it, it's not just a one-way road. It, there's a dynamic here where exer- influence is exerted upon them, pressure is exerted upon them, and they respond by exerting their own influence in, in through the reporting and maybe even through other ways that are more direct. Perfect. Well done, sir. Uh, the book, folks, uh, again, The Great Lady Winked, How the New York Times is Misreporting, Distortions, and Fabrications Radically Alter History. The author is Ashley Rinsberg, and if you want to see how they're doing it in front of our own two eyes, still see his latest in National Review. American media outlets are unwittingly collaborating with hostile global actors. We might debate the word unwittingly, but I'm guessing that was not your your, your title, huh, Ashley? <laughs> okay. Ashley Winsberg, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Please stay in touch. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. Thank you, you betcha. Very much. My pleasure. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. If you're tying up paying the big utility bill fees and thinking about going with solar energy, you want to call my friend Solar Sandy. The difference between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies in Arizona is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. If you go with Solar Sandy right now, she will not only pay your power bills for one year, she'll also pay your solar panel payments for one year, and you'll get a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right, a $1,000 bonus at signing, no solar panel payments, no power bill payments. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yeah, I think I, met I, am Jack Jones, I, uh, I met Jack Jones a few years ago at the 100th uh, anniversary of Buddy Rich's birth oh. in Palm Springs. When uh, And I've got pictures to show, and I can send you one. Anyway, um, I just thought it was interesting going from the love boat theme to uh, kiss, but I'm funny that way. We do um, that here. Also, yeah. I, I just oh, don't actually, think it's a stretch to, to think that kiss and the love boat would be in the same category. Same well, decade. no, but they have different concepts of love, I think, and uh, we don't have to elaborate. I don't anyway. know on the love boat. You know, you'd give a girl a kiss. Kiss has well, love yeah, gun, calling Dr. Love. Calling Dr. Love? Calling a doctor of love. There you go. Your That's argument is falling yeah. apart fast here, Rob. Well, actually, when you look at the uh, way the Love Boat TV show uh, was basically hiring more seasoned actors and actresses, um, it was appealing to... The older set, and I think it was fine. It was a great show. Sonny Bono, Sonny Bono, uh, was on the Love Boat, and um, uh, in a certain episode, he impersonated on the Love Boat Gene uh, Simmons. So there is a unification to all the theories here going on right now. Well, now that's that's interesting. I didn't even know that. Anyway, um, great interview with Ashley. I'd love to read his book. I only wished that those who are devoted to the New York Times would read his book too but you know they're probably not going to no they their, won't that no they yeah they're they're preconceived conclusions yeah the books the books too. these kinds of books are useful for you reading it and me reading it or someone in this audience reading it and talking to a mm-hmm. friend who loves the new york times who maybe 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 gets a fact from you or me that makes them think about it and say i'd like to read that yeah because you know again the, the elite who read that who believe in them part of hearts that they're elite they're not going to listen no. because that's going to change their paradigm. Their exactly. exactly. Um, now, earlier on, you were talking about education. Yes. And we were talking about science scores going down. Yes. Uh, I, all I remember in sixth grade, the big thing was creating the volcano yep. with the 
vinegar and uh, that's right. Hammer soda. That's right. Now, Baking soda. And, yep. then in, and then in seventh and eighth grade, I think we had like general science. And then ninth grade was biology, tenth grade was chemistry, eleventh grade was physics, and twelfth grade I don't even know. Um, but but again, uh, in science, you know, we worry about the education system that teaches people that should teach people how to think instead of what to think. Exactly. And more importantly, uh, it should be teaching people how to learn and not what to learn, except maybe science, because the science people do tell people what they need to learn. Um, but anyway, that's the. Uh, my two cents on education. Now, the big problem I've had and while you were gone was the Black Lives Matter flags in the embassies. Well, yeah, I'll and, talk about it with uh, Brandon in a second. You can hang on. If you've been this patient, you can be patienter yet. Hang with us. We'll get it. We'll get to it with Brandon. And uh, thank you, everyone else who's waiting. Stay with me. We'll get to you. We'll be right back. <laughs> 